0: Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. It was about two years ago that I got some time to peel away to be with God for, for about two or three hours. and. It was in this time that there was this question that was rolling through my head, and it was this. What do I think about when I think about God? And that seemed like a silly question because I'd been walking with God faithfully for years at that point. But the reality of it was when I really sat there with God, he, he revealed some things about really how I see him and how I see myself. And so before we dive into our time this morning, I wanna open up this time for you to, to sit before God just for a few moments as you would ask yourself prayerfully that question. What do you think about when you think about God? So take a moment to come before the God who is and be honest that this is what you really think about when you think about him. Take a moment and then we'll dive in. Father, there's probably a hundred different images that are showing up in different people's minds right now. Some are true, but maybe impartial. Some are simply false and not who you are. And so God, would you be who you say you are, which is with us? Would you be with us in this moment that, that you would show us more and more who you are and what you've done for us and, and what you're like and Father would you allow this, these thoughts that are in our mind to be replaced by the beauty and the truth of who you are give us eyes to see Lord because otherwise we are blind we're in the dark but would your light shine brightly this morning that we might see and behold all that you are in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, well, I don't know what came to your mind in those brief moments, but it's the most important thing about you. Uh, A.W. Tozer, family, said that whatever comes to your mind when you think about God, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it determines not just how you think about God, but how you think about yourself. And not just how you think about yourself, but how you interact in this world around you. And so for some of you, you might struggle with, say, uh, an insecurity. And that might manifest itself in a fear of man or fear of failure or fear of rejection. But my imagination for you is that when you think about God, you think about some distant being or some distant father figure or some unapproving coach or authority figure in your life, something that's distant and out there, and that you have to do things in order to appease this deity, in order to win its smile. And so because you're not feeling the full acceptance that you have from God that's freely offered in Jesus Christ, you you run around and you try to be accepted in front of all these different people, whether it's your boss or your coworkers, your family or your friends or your spouse or your kids, because when you think about God, he's distant. And that leaves you with insecurities and fears and you got to find that acceptance somewhere. Or maybe for you it's not insecurities, it's, it's pride. You wrestle with an issue that goes, look, uh, I, I, my way is kind of the best way it, because when you think about God, uh, he's not distant, he's just kind of disinterested. He just kind of doesn't care. His hand's off the wheel. And so you see the problems in your world and the world and you go, somebody's got to deal with this and it might as well be almighty me because my way's right. And that leaves you into a life in which you're constantly wrestling with frustration and anger towards other people because they're not doing it the way you would do it as almighty God. Maybe for you it's not insecurity, it's, maybe it's not pride, maybe for you, like me, it, it's this anxiety, it's, it's this worry, and so your life is just a series of, you're just constantly thinking of, like, what's the worst possible thing that could happen today, or in this moment, or in this meeting, and so you just stress yourself out constantly, and worry constantly about this world, because when you think about God, man, he just doesn't really care about you, he doesn't really love you. He isn't gonna provide for you. He isn't gonna protect you in those situations and in those moments. And so what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it's not just how you think about God, it's how you think about yourself and then how you live in this world around us. And the truth is there's so many different things in our history and our background that determines really how we form this view about God. And it might have been your upbringing or, or an authority figure or an absentee father or a coach or a boss that just didn't fulfill their role the way that they were meant to, or maybe it was a hard situation in your life in which you look at and go, okay, God can't be good because this happened to me, and if he is good, then he can't be all-powerful because this happened to me, and so what happens in our world is our sin clouds our view of God, and then our situation reinforces that view of God. And then Satan begins to speak lies into our life about, yeah, that's who God is, can't be trusted. He's not good, he's not powerful, and he doesn't love you. And so what God does is he's constantly reorienting our minds, renewing our minds to dislodge these false views or these impartial views of God away from our mind because it leads to destruction, and he's inserting the reality of who he is and what he's like. That's the God who is And so we've been in a series called High Call, Safe Place, and we've been looking at these different things about what it means for us as City Bridge Community Church moving forward. We've looked at whose we are, and that's Jesus, that we are followers of Jesus, that we are Christ followers, we are Christians, and that he is the one that gets the glory. It's not about City Bridge Community Church. It's not about a band or a speaker or a community group or a program. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. And then from there, we talked about, okay, so what does it mean for us as city bridge? And we talked about community and full devotion. And, and last week, we talked about moving from kind of who's we are and who we are to really now what we believe. And last week, Jeff unpacked uh, the scriptures to us. And, he, and what I love of what he said was that the, the word of God points to the God of the word, and so he he threw a bunch of scripture at you, and he gave you a chart of scripture. And the truth is, today we're talking about God. And fun fact, the Bible talks a lot about God. Right, it's kind of all over the place. And so, if you're looking for a chart about all the verses, it's right here. It's Genesis one one through Revelations twenty two twenty one. And so, reality is that's your entire. Bible, because from the beginning to the end, the Bible is showcasing, the Word of God is showcasing the God of the Word in the beginning, God in the end, God. He's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the beginning, and he's the end. And so what God is doing in our world is he's constantly revealing himself to us to show you who he is. And so this morning, we're talking about the God who is, and it was kind of funny this week when people were asked, what are you talking about on Sunday? I would say, God. And they were like, well, of course, but what are you talking about? And I go, no, 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 we're talking about God, who he is and what he's like. And my hope for us is that as we see this God for who he is and what he's like, we would see ourselves. And what it means for us to walk in this world with the grace and the goodness and the the kindness and the gentleness of a God who loves us and is for us. And that we would dislodge from our minds these false views about God as God in his grace and kindness inserts in the reality of who he is and what he's like. So that's what we're gonna do in our time together. And so first up, we have to ask the question, who is he? Who is he? Because when I said it earlier, hey, what comes to your mind when you think about God, all of us had different images that pop into our, our minds and, and in our hearts. And so we had to get that right. Who is he? And so the truth is the, the, the Bible is not a systematic theology textbook. Uh, but what it is is a story about this God who relates to these image bearers of him. And so what has happened through the last 2,000 years and what we've done here at City Bridge is we've taken who God's revealed himself to be and we've kind of come up with this like one sentence of who he is, and, and so if you were to go to our website, citybridgechurch.org, and you were to see our, our statement of beliefs, you would see this about God, that we believe that there is one God, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are each God, and that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are each distinct persons, and so let's take that one by one. First, we see that we believe that there's one God, one God. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus repeats that same thing. And so Old Testament, hey, there's one God. New Testament, there's one God. And this God is defined as the greatest possible being by whom everything else exists. And so he's all powerful. He's all loving. He's all gracious. He's all kind. He's all forgiving. This is the God who is. We believe there is one of those guys. Then you read your Bible And you recognize that though there is one God, that there's three persons that claim that title. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so we believe there is one God, but we believe that the Father, Son, and Spirit are each God. And so this is where it gets a little mind-bending, okay? This is where it gets a little bit like, Okay, wait, 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 I got with the one God, but now we're talking about the Father, Son, and Spirit being God. And so the Old Testament, when you read it, there's like these, these, um, these kind of allusions to the plurality of God. And then when you get to the New Testament, Jesus claims with everything he did, everything he said, and his authority, and his assertions, and his attributes, everything was declaring the reality that he is God. But then he also said, the Father's God. And he said, oh yeah, by the way, there's a third guy in the band, the Holy Spirit. He's gonna come, and in Acts 5, it's declared that he's God as well. And so there's one God, but there's three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And if that wasn't confusing enough, we get to our next thing, that the Father, Son, and Spirit are each a distinct person. That the Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. And so when we see all of this, we see what Christians throughout the years has declared a tri-unity, a three-in-one nature of God, one being three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so let me read that again. We believe that there is one God, that the Father, the Son, and Spirit are each God. The Father, and the Son, and Spirit are each a distinct person. And so question, how does that work? I have no idea... Okay? I have no idea because God is infinite and I'm finite. His ways are above my ways and the truth is I like that little chart right there and not just because it kind of looks like the Deathly Hollows, but I get one per series. I get one reference per series to that. So it's not just because of that, because it's simple, right? I can draw it on a napkin and go, well, this is God and it's true. This is God truly, but it's not God fully. And so we can draw it out and and reconcile and we can come up with all these illustrations, but all of them fall short of who God is and should that surprise us, that the God who declares there is none like me, that he would actually be different than anything you could comprehend. And so I don't know how to reconcile this and neither has the greatest minds in Christian history. There's this amazing story about a guy named Augustine who was one of the early church fathers in in, in church history. And so he read Genesis through Revelation trying to reconcile this three-in-one nature of God. And in that, it gave him a headache. One of the smartest guys who's ever lived and he's like, okay, I can't do it. So he left his house and he went to this nearby beach. He's walking around trying to reconcile the 3 the 1 the father the son the spirit unity equality distinction how does it all work and he looks over and he sees this little kid and the kid is doing what i have found to be true about a lot of kids at the beach he's digging a hole and the kid is digging this hole and then he's going back and forth between the hole that he dug and then the ocean that's out in front of him, and he's filling it with water, and then he's pulling it in, and he's dumping the water from the ocean into the hole, and he's going back and forth doing this, and Augustine's watching him, and finally he just goes, hey kid, what are you doing? And the kid goes, well, I'm, I'm putting the ocean into this hole. And Augustine started laughing, because he goes, oh, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm trying to take the ocean of God and put it into my little bitty hole brain right here. And so I'm no wonder I'm getting a headache. And so the truth is what was in that little bitty boy's hole was the true nature of the ocean, but it wasn't the fullness of the ocean. And so when we think about God, we can know him truly, but we can never know him fully. As one theologian said, to know God fully is to be God. He is infinite, we are finite but we can know him truly, but we never know him fully. And so if it's true that there is a complexity here that we can never fully grasp, then why is this so critical that we get this right? Well, Jesus, in John chapter four, when he's interacting with that woman at the well and she's got this bad theology that's leading to a broken life, he moves towards her and he loves her. And it's discovered in that moment that, that she has this really bad view of who God is. And so Jesus says to her in a loving, tender way, he says he says this in John chapter four, he says, an hour is coming. In fact, it's, it's here right now when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so God's desire for you is that you would worship him, yes, but worship him truly for who he is. And so God has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one. And so it shouldn't surprise us that as you look around in the world today, the active role of the enemy in the life of the unbeliever is to distort this God who is. In fact, we're told plainly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse four, it says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And so we have this enemy that's moving around and and he's distorting the view of God. And anytime you distort who God is, what you are left with is a downgrade of who Jesus is. And when you're left with a downgrade of who Jesus is, it leads to a devastation in your life. You look throughout the major world religions and what you see is a distortion of who God is. You, You start messing with the unity or the equality or the distinction of God. You mess with one of those and you get Mormonism you get Jehovah's Witness. You start messing with multiple ones of them, what you get is Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam. You start messing with all of them, you get atheism. Belief that there is no God. So should it really surprise us that the God of this age, another name of that individual is Satan, or the devil, or the enemy, the adversary of God who hates God and hates you? would want to distort the God who is. It should not surprise us. Anytime you distort who God is, you downgrade Jesus. And when you downgrade Jesus, it leads to a devastation of your life. You know why? Because that Jesus can't save you. Because that's a Jesus made in your own image. And that's not the Jesus of the Bible. It is devastating when we get this wrong. And God is constantly showing us more and more about who he is, because this is the God who is. And so let me read it again. We believe there is one God, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are each God, and that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are each a distinct person. This is the God who is, and there is no other. There is no other. And so our next question we gotta reconcile with is if this is the God who is, then what is he like? What's he like? Well, there's an amazing moment in scripture. It's really grabbed my heart over the last couple months. It's a moment in Exodus 34, and so what's been happening so far in, in the story of your Bible is God is revealing who he is to his people from Genesis one to this moment in, in Exodus 34. God is showing who he is to, to his people, and, and there's this enemy that's distorting these views throughout, but God keeps showing who he is and his goodness and his grace and his kindness, and so God's people get, get pulled into slavery into Egypt, and God in his mercy and kindness, rescues them out of Egypt and brings them uh, through this this amazing event of crossing the Red Sea out of death into life. And so God in his mercy and his love says, hey, I want you to walk with me. I want you to follow me. And when you do, you're going to have life and life abundantly as you know me, as you walk with me, as you love me, and as you love one another. And then these people begin to look up at God and they begin to see him doing things that they don't really understand and don't really agree with. And so they all of a sudden downgrade who God is and they start to create in their own image and their own understanding this other image of God. And it's one of those famous stories in your Bible. It's the story of the golden calf that they create this this unique image. And that feels weird to us, but what it was, was they looked at God and go, well, he saved us. He must be strong. And, And they started to pull in their past. And start to go, okay, we used to worship this, this bull when we were slaves in Egypt, and so let's just kind of bring that in, and let's just kind of cut and paste God to a God that we can understand. And they downgrade who God is, and they begin to worship this, and they go, this is the God that saved us out of Egypt, and God sees this, and it's, and it's a horrific moment in our Bible because it's literally the lowest point of the people of God, and it's like day one of them walking with God And God walks in and he sees his people in utter sin and in utter rebellion and he looks at them and he opens his mouth. And before I read what he says, I wanna ask you, in your moment of sin and struggle, if God were to walk in on you, what do you think he would say? Whatever came to your mind right now is actually the God you believe in. God sees his people in utter rebellion and he walks in and he does what I, I believe only God could do and only God would do in a moment like this. The God who is would do. It says in Exodus 34:6, it says, the Lord passed before him, that was Moses, this intercede, intercessory, someone that in this moment looked like Jesus and passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the worst moment so far in their story. And God is declaring, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. And then in verse seven, he says, I'm keeping steadfast love for thousands. I'm forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty. And so let's look at these, because this is what God says. He's like this amazing father who catches his kid and rebellion, and sin, and instead of coming down on them hard, or instead of just being neglected, he leans in, and the first thing he says is, I'm the Lord. He says it twice. He says, I'm the Lord, I'm the Lord. That was the covenant, personal, relational name that God gave his people about him, that he was Yahweh, the God who is, I am. This is the first thing i want you to know about me in your darkest moment is i'm a relational god who i want to be near to you and walk with you and love you but don't miss this i am the lord i am the lord but i'm also a god i i'm in control i'm on, i'm all powerful i'm bigger than you could possibly imagine and you know what this god is like he goes i'm merciful I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger, and I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's what he's like. And because that's what he's like, he says, look, I'm gonna offer this forgiveness for your iniquity and your transgression and your sin, but don't miss this. He says, those that reject me, those that cast out who I really am, and this offer I'm really giving of of grace and kindness. He says, by no means will I just clear the guilty. Those that come to me, I'm gonna extend forgiveness and grace and mercy, but those that reject me, all that's left upon you is judgment for your rebellion. That's the God who is. And the truth is, time would fail us to talk about all that he is. And I don't just mean time in this little 30 minutes. I mean like the rest of our time here on earth and on into eternity. Like time will fail us to talk about his beauty, his wonder, his might, his strength, his kindness, his meekness, his nearness, his complexity, his simplicity, his His power, his meekness, time will fail us because this is the God who is. He is the intimate Yahweh, but he's the infinite God. And so it shouldn't surprise us that the primary attack of the enemy for believers is to distort who this God is and what he's like. From Genesis three on, the enemy has been coming in misrepresenting God, it's this primary attack and it's one of the most subtle realities that most of us are blind to. Jesus himself, when he saw a group of people that were adopting these false ideas about God, he, he calls out the author of those lies. It says in John 8, he says, he talking about the devil or the Satan, the enemy of God, he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. You getting that? There is an enemy that is coming after you moment by moment, day by day, and has one aim, which is to lie to you about who God is, because he knows if he can disjoint in your mind who God is, then he can mess you up, and he does not like God. He hates you and wants to destroy you, and so he will disjoint distort everything about who God is and so many of us are so sadly so familiar with that voice that taunt in our mind and it's so familiar to us that we kind of forget where that's coming from that he says hey he's not the Lord he's not close to you he's not intimate he doesn't care about you look what you did look at your mess look at your failure he's not God he's not in control You gotta be in control. He surely isn't merciful, gracious, or slow to anger. He's not abounding in steadfast love, he's not faithful, he's not forgiving, he's not just, he's just constantly mad at you. And so many of you just live under the frown of heaven because you're living under a God who is not the God who is, but the God of your own fears, your own nightmares your own insecurities and your own pride. And so I know for me, I really wrestle, I've never really wrestled with the idea that, that there is a God, but, but, but I've wrestled for years and a part of it's my upbringing and early approaches to God and some authority figures in my life, but I always had a hard time like understanding that God like, loves me and I, like I got that in my head, but in my heart I just never, really clicks and I always have to keep coming back to that reality and so whenever I hear those lies kinda of crop up in my head, I have this practice that I do and, and what I do is I just start listing off every lie in my head about who God is and, and who I am and, and how am I interacting in this world around me and, and what that person actually maybe really thinks about me and I just list it all out in my journal. And then I go to the word of God and I ask the God of the word would you show me what is true? Because this is what's pinging around in my head and I know that's not true, but it's all I can hear right now. And I begin to write out next to each and every one of these lies the truth about God. And then I just look at the list and I just ask myself, which God am I gonna follow today? The God of my own insecurities? my own fears, my own prides? Or am I gonna follow the God who is? I'm gonna place my trust trust that he is these things because that's what his word declares about him. And so let me ask you this again. What do you think about when you think about God? Because that's the most important thing about you. It'll drive your life, whether you realize it or not. And there is an enemy that hates you and will do anything in his power. He will kill, he will steal, he will destroy to distort the image of God in your mind. He will use father wounds so that when you hear the name father, you go, I don't want want anything to do with that. He'll use Christians that have misrepresented Christ. If that's what it means to follow Jesus, if that's what it means to look like Jesus, I want nothing to do with Jesus. He'll use situations in your story and he'll convince you God can't be good and if he's good, then he can't be powerful and no matter what, he doesn't love you. You see, what happens is our sin clouds our view of God Romans one says that we suppress truth with our own unrighteousness, and so our sin clouds the truth of who God is, and our situations begin to reinforce these lies in our head, and then Satan just keeps on feeding these these lies, and so you have the world, the flesh, and the devil, this, this unholy trinity that is constantly at war with you and with your own mind, which is why Romans 12 says to renew your mind daily. It's why we run to the scriptures Because this is truth. And the word of God points us to the God of the word and the God who is, and it shares with us who he is and what he is truly like. And that's what God's doing in your life. He's constantly taking away those false views and he's reinserting the reality and the truth of who he is. That's the God who is. That's the God who he's like so last question, what, do, what does it mean for us? What do we do with all this? Well, the beauty of the Trinity is that before time began, like time was created by God. And so before in the beginning, God created. Before that, you had this beautiful, what C.S. Lewis calls the dance of God happening, this perfect Unity, equality, distinction of all that God is, perfectly loving, perfectly delighting in one another. And because of that perfect delight, God creates An existence comes into order. And at the pinnacle of his creation, he creates one that is made in his image and in his likeness. And because God delights in who he is, he delights in that which is made in his image, which is humanity. And humanity was made to to reflect that back at God and to delight in who God is and, and to know him and to see him and to celebrate him and to have life and life abundantly. But the tragedy is, is that though humanity was meant to delight in God, we don't. We chase after all these things that aren't God. And it leads us to our own destruction. It says in Romans 1.22, it says, claiming to be wise, they, we became fools. And we've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things and politicians and celebrities and and self-help books and and binge-watching Netflix and kids' soccer practices and all these things that we've put at the highest echelon of existence and say, that is my God. And God sees this and he he hates sin because he loves his people and so God must do something about sin because he is just and holy and righteous and sin cannot exist with him. And so how does God destroy sin without destroying you? It's when the God who is becomes what he was not the God who is, entered into our story. And the full deity of Jesus Christ became man. And he took that name, Jesus, the Christ. Jesus means God saves. That's the heart of God. He loves you and he wants to save you and he wants to rescue you and give you life and life abundantly. But we can't do that because our sin has blinded us to God. We walk under the frown of heaven and the lies in our own life, and so God becomes man in the person of Jesus Christ. He lives a life that we cannot, perfectly delighting back at the Father. And the God who is just, who must do something about sin, made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on your behalf so that what Romans would say would be true, that God would remain just, but also the justifier of those who would have faith in Jesus Christ. That he lived a perfect life that we cannot, died the death that we deserve, and rose victoriously from that death, and offers life and goodness and peace to you. And the beauty of the gospel is that we, who had our eyes closed and were blind to the things of God, can now see See God, and know God, and walk with God, and be full of all that God is. That's the beauty of our gospel, that we can see him. And so if our eyes are clouded because of sin, and our situations reinforce all these false lies, and Satan is constantly combating those, then what hope do we have? Our hope is in the God who is. Our hope is in him. So how do we see him rightly? Three things and we'll close. First, we run to the Father. We run to him. We run to him. I love, one of my favorite verses is in John 17, three, it says that this is eternal life, that they know you, that they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent, eternal life is knowing God. It's not some ethereal sky palace in which you kind of float around as a disembodied soul playing harps. That is not in the Bible. Eternal life is knowing God. And the good news for us is that means for us we can start to know him now, which means that we can taste eternal life today today. As we long for him, we wait for the fullness of that when we get to see him fully face to face. And so my encouragement for you this week is, like we gave y'all like 30 seconds to ask that question. Go and linger with God and ask him, God, what do I really think about when I think about you? And then you open up his word and let it point you to the God of the word. You run to the Father. And the only way to do that is to trust in the Son. You run to the Father, you trust in the Son. I love what Jesus says in John 14. He says this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father. From now on, you you do know him because you've seen him. You've seen him in me. So you want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Like I've been moving through the Gospel of Matthew the last couple of days, and it's not because I haven't read the Gospel of Matthew before. It's not to know the Word of God. It's to know the God of the Word, that he has entered into our mess and our chaos, and he's bringing life and order and beauty. And so I ask myself the question, how does Jesus interact with this person and that person? How does he treat those that are sinners and that are broken and that are far from God? How does he treat those that are prideful and arrogant? How does he move towards the hurting, towards the sick, towards the broken, towards the prideful, towards people? How does he do it? I look at Jesus and I see who God is. That's why we read God's word. It points to the God of the word. So you run to the Father, you trust in the Son, and finally, you walk by the Spirit. I love what Galatians says. It says, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk in this deep relationship with God, and you won't gratify these things that are pulling you away from God. And as you walk with this God... You will begin to recognize that he wants to touch and he wants to transform every aspect of your life because he loves you. Like I just looked at all the different areas this triune God wants to touch and transform and it's your salvation, your eternal security, your sanctification, your glorification, your prayer, your scripture, your overcoming sin, your bearing fruit, your relationships, your work, your marriage, your community, every blessing, every good gift. Who is this God? Who to know him and to walk with him wants to replace all of your anxieties, all of your fears, all of your pride and replace it with a life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Who is this God that by lingering with him, you're actually filled with the life you were meant to live? It's the God who is. Do you know him? It was interesting, last story. Um, A couple years ago, whenever I got to peel away and and spend time with God, a couple hours to do what we did in just 30, 45 seconds. I went before him, I just asked myself that question, God, what do I think about when I think about you? And, And the image that came to my mind was true but very impartial. God, to me, was this this glorious, majestic king on a throne and, and he was high and lifted up, but I couldn't see his face. He was so glorious and so amazing. And so for me, I came before him and it was easy for me as I looked at my life, it was easy for me to see him that way and to look at myself and to see myself as a, as a servant, which is true, or a soldier, But as I sat with God, he began to dislodge this impartial view in my mind and replace it with a greater reality of what he truly is. Because in that moment, as I'm sitting with God, this being who's majestic and powerful on his throne, he stood up. And he started walking towards me. And he embraced me. He hugged me. And I'll be honest, at first, this is what was weird in my heart is I rejected it. Because for me to be a soldier or a servant means I can go and I can do something to win God's smile. I can, I, I can perform and then maybe he'll like me, maybe he'll love me. And in that moment, what God was showing me was that you're more than a servant, you're more than a soldier, you're my son. Because I'm your father. And I love you. I am the Lord, Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Do you know him? This is the God who is. This is the God who is. And so let's run to the Father. Let's trust in the Son as we walk by the Spirit and get to know this God who loves you and wants to give you life and life abundantly because this is the God who is. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.